we will get started today and uh, depending on how the day goes we'll uh, I don't know we might finish early uh, I do want to leave time for uh, you know this is a season of leftovers right I don't know if, if any of you have leftovers um, knowing that our uh, kids um, our kids came to spend uh, the holidays with us they had obligations for Christmas Day with everybody else, so we're kind of home base. They usually stay with us, so we'll we adjust our schedule. So we did our uh, time with them starting the day after Christmas, and then they were with us the whole time. And uh, you know, each each child brought a spouse, a, a baby, and a dog, and uh, <laughs> so it got it got real busy uh, real quick. But um, uh, knowing that they had had a lot of the traditional things. Um, I made uh, some jambalaya, and you can't make jambalaya like for four. Um, you have to make it like for 20. And so uh, we, we have plenty of that. In fact, I sent them home with containers of it as they left. Um, so this is a season of leftovers. And um, when we finished up last week, um, our passage about uh, judging and, and let me get that speck out of your eye, not noticing the log that's in my own eye, all those things. We talked about conflict. We talked about uh, ways Christian resolve conflict. And I, I kind of left if anybody had a story about how they had resolved conflict or um, any of those stories. And does anybody have any leftovers as far as that topic was concerned? Well, that's fine. I, I, I didn't know, uh, but I, I did put it out there, so it would, it would be bad if I, if I offered it and didn't, and didn't follow up on it. You know, it reminds me of one patient that for years I had, you know, every time I saw him, okay, can you give me a smoking update? You know, are you still smoking? Yes, I'm still smoking, and okay. You know, and finally I just got to the point where I, you know, just a super nice fellow, and, and we had tons of other stuff to talk about. And I said, you know, I'm just not going to nag him about that anymore. Um, and so I saw him on this one occasion, and I just noticed things were off the whole visit. And uh, we got to the end, and, and he was just not, we weren't vibing. And uh, I said, I said, what's, what's going on? You, you know, is there a problem? And he said, he said, I finally quit smoking, and he didn't even ask me about it. <laughs> Anyway, um, so when you offer, you have to follow up. So that's, that's what that was about. All right, so we are in Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we'll be picking up with verse 7. Now, you know, one of the, you know, one of the, the cool things about uh, going through the Gospels is uh, these are uh, just full of passages that are very familiar to us, and um, that we've heard sermons about and stories in church and, and so forth. So uh, I definitely want um, you know, your, your input uh, because um, chances are you've probably heard something that I haven't uh, as, we, as we go through. So uh, this first uh, passage um, will begin in verse 7. Uh, again, very familiar verses, and it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. 
asking, seeking, and knocking. So, um, we've had a section where Jesus taught us to pray, right? Back in chapter 6, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, and so forth. We know this. And now we get to this other section, which seems to be talking about prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. So how many of us believe those verses? Huh? How many of us believe those verses? I believe that you have to be asking for God's will. You know, I can't just ask for a million dollars in bingo, not a, a genie in a bottle. But if I ask for the right things, and it's, it, it's within his will. So she says, uh, if we ask for the right things, and if it's within his will, this is a little contrary to the old song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? <laughs> Does anyone have a story for how your belief has led you to accept these verses full on, without much qualification, and... You've got a story. Didn't happen to me, but it happened to my daughter. She prayed for me for 17 years, and I didn't even know she was pregnant. And I finally, the scales were lifted, and I came to know the Lord, and I told her, here's daddy, and she said, Mom, I've been praying for you for 17 years. So, you know, sooner or later, Okay. So I think it's interesting in James, you can turn there if you want, James chapter 4, you don't have to. But, you know, we've, we just spoke last week about judging and, you know, noticing when people don't agree with you and, you know, getting that issue um, fixed in your, your neighbor. I think it's very interesting that James chapter 4 starts with these same topics adjacent to each other, just like in Matthew. So James 4, 1 says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he goes straight into, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So there is this, I don't know what led Jesus to juxtapose these two things together or what led James to put these two topics together, but it, it seems that they go together. I think that's a, something I probably should have reflected on even more, but... Uh, there is this concept in James that it's, it's possible to ask wrongly. 
it's possible to ask for inappropriate things or maybe inappropriate times. Um, it's possible to ask wrongly. But I would submit that most of the time our mistake is not in over-asking. Because I think if that was our tendency, if that was the way we were inclined, I don't think the tone of the message would be the way Jesus presents it. Because it says, ask. This, by the way, in I don't remember um, hardly any of the Greek I actually studied, and I certainly um, uh can't attest to this, but the commentators tell me that when it says ask, it's in the form of a command. And seek and knock, these are things that we are supposed to be doing. Okay? It's not like, hey, if you'd like to think about asking, it's okay to do that. No, we're, he's saying ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find knock, and it will be open to you. That we are supposed to be taking that initiative. And I think for most of us, you know, we've been trained so much that we just, we just don't do this. At least I'm, maybe it's just me. I don't, I don't ask. I don't, I don't, I don't ask enough. Part of the whole concept of Jesus telling them, give us this day our daily bread as a way to pray is to maintain this constant connection with God every day. It's daily bread. Old bread is not useful for very much, right? You can make croutons or you can make a breakfast casserole that is never as good as it sounds. I'll give you my recipe for one that doesn't use bread. But, I mean, seriously, day-old bread, you know, it's useful for a few things, but not many. Our daily bread. We're supposed to be asking, we're supposed to be knocking, we're supposed to be seeking. These are commands. Um, and I think one commentator made it very plain. He said, you know, our problem isn't that we over-ask, it's that we under-ask. What would things look like if we really, even for a month, we were daily, and we... We don't feel too bad asking for prayer for a friend, a neighbor, right? Something that hurts, some medical thing. But it seems sometimes we don't ask with the same connection that we would. And I think we're going to perhaps understand why in these next verses. Verse 9, or, this is continuous thought, it, everyone who knocks it will be opened, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a servant, a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Probably all of us at some point in the past month 
have given a gift to someone. Right? I think it's, I'm probably on pretty firm ground here. Maybe it was just a God, but you gave a gift to somebody and it was probably thoughtful. You probably said, okay, what would they want? What, the, what would they like? You know, what's my budget? You know, you, you put some thinking into it because we don't tend to give gifts to our enemies. We tend to give gifts to those people that we love, right? And we want them to know that we love them. That's the motivation behind it. Even if it's Uncle Larry that I spoke about last week. So he's saying, if, if, if we, who are dirty, rotten sinners, scoundrels, who really are dumb sheep, right? That's us. If we know how to put some thought and some love and some care into the gifts that we give our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father the ultimate daddy, how much more will he give good gifts? I think there's a lot of... Um, this, this passage can go off into some strange ways, if you think about it. What does this passage say about the gifts that we get from God? Or maybe do we recognize them as gifts? Or maybe they're things we get from God that we don't think are gifts. Um, I mean, you've probably heard that there was a, uh, there apparently across the, country yesterday there were several plane crashes there was one uh, that made the news because um, this gal died who was related to one of the LSU coaches how do you go up to that husband that father or mother or father-in-law and say oh yeah God just gives you good things You know, how do we interpret those things that happen? Are those God's gifts to us in some warped way? So it's, you know, depending on where you're coming from, this can be hard to maybe work through. So I, I think this passage gives us, if we unfold it a little bit, gives us some things to think about as to what we think about the gifts quote unquote that we get but I think more importantly it has something to say about the giver who the who our father is um, if your dad wasn't the dad in the Norman Rockwell in the story of you know this ever constant ever loving 
always looking out for you, always there for you, Dad. If you didn't have that kind of a dad, do you think that would affect how you look at your Heavenly Father? I think it has to. I think it has to. Um, and I think I think how you look at the world uh, it affects how you look at your heavenly father as well some people have a hard time with this um, there's a, a person I've been speaking with off and on in recent months who who struggles with this um, you know maybe I'm just getting what I deserve the bad things that have happened the doubts the worries maybe you know maybe maybe I'm supposed to experience a little pain because I'm not perfect and maybe that's how God keeps me in line does anybody know anyone that's struggled with those sorts of thoughts it's it's an interesting perspective um, I think part of its personality um, there are some personalities that tend toward the melancholy um, easier to see the problems you know easier to see the things that aren't quite right um, the you know the disciples the classic doubting Thomas you know just it can't quite make the leap of full faith in everything um, and I think I think Jesus is really wanting to give a message here. Part of it is is saying I mean it, I guess in fairness, I should say, when we learned all about the tabernacle, who got to get next to God? The priest, right? It was a small list of people that got to really be in the presence of God, right? And in fairness, we, did, we, have, we didn't study Leviticus, but you know, we, we looked at parts of it, and you have through your years of study. Leviticus is pretty harsh, right? It's, you know, you're disobedient to your parents. Okay, well, you get stoned. I mean, it's harsh in terms of rule following and and trying to you know this righteous God who doesn't put up with any thing outside the lines right Pastor Bob talked about the Ark of the Covenant you know and I mean strict you know touch the Ark you're gone Jesus was talking to people who that's their view of God that's that's was most of their view of God and it was all about rule following and it was all about slitting the throat of that animal pouring that blood out on the altar that was what was going on so can you imagine 
Jesus trying to explain there is more to God than this. This is a God who loves you, who wants you to come to him, who wants you to ask things of him. It's a different, that was different, right? That's different. It's a different, it's a different type of father. And then just to reemphasize, if you then who are evil. Now remember, part of his audience were the Pharisees, right? Did they think they were evil? No. Did they think they had followed those rules? Yes. Did they think they were in good standing with God? Yes. So they may have taken an affront to this. I mean, some rabbi, who do you think you are telling me I'm evil? Who are you? But he was constantly calling them out and saying, basically in modern day terms, you guys are doing it wrong, right? You guys are doing it wrong. Let me give you a different whole paradigm Who got to do the asking? The priest. Who got to ask for forgiveness for the whole people? The priest. The old system did not really encourage this concept. I mean, in evangelical circles, there's a, a P word that we often insert in our language when we talk about our relationship with Jesus. What's that word? personal is Jesus your personal Lord and Savior I mean it just it gets stuck in there almost automatically as a phrase right this was not the concept back then and I think for a lot of people in today's kind of warped world what some people call a post-Christian world this concept of a personal relationship with God makes no sense. Right? A lot of the younger ages, the people in their 20s and 30s, they're kind of smart, perhaps too smart for their own good, I mean, when you can instantly look up anything in the world on your phone and glance at Wikipedia for 30 seconds about something, you can feel you're pretty much have an opinion about anything because you've informed yourself. I think a lot of the younger generations have, they want to approach religion and I use religion as opposed to truth of the Bible because that's how they would see it they want to approach it from a concept of intellectualism and to and as a philosophy and I think their default assumption is I've got this figured out um, it's just a man religion is just a man-made thing it served its purpose back in the day 
kind of kept people in line. It was useful to herd people into a single way of belief. And then they'll say, well, look at all the ways that that concept of religion has been corrupted. Look at all the bad things that have been done in the name of religions in the world. And, and to a certain extent, they'll be right. Um, and you'll get into these conversations or notice these conversations online. And every so often, somebody will pipe up and say truthfully, you know what? That's true about religion, but authentic Christianity is not like that. But, but that's, a, that's a struggle nowadays. We're in the minority now, and you've got some parts of the religious landscape that see everything as a fight, right? We're at war with this issue or that issue, right? Okay, I, I get it, I get it. There's a place for, for um, standing up for an issue. There's a place for making your opinion known. Um, those of you that read some of Chuck Colson's writings back in the day, um, he talked about how Christians, through their involvement with government, can help bring what he called common grace, God's grace, to the populace just because of helping to make good laws and good government and you know God helps establish government so he he made a good argument for that but the balance of that is is trying to tell people about a God who is like a daddy who wants a relationship with his children and wants to give good gifts to his children and that's the part that gets lost Holy Spirit brings and only the Holy Spirit brings unless you open yourself up to allow the Holy Spirit to feed your brain and give you an understanding you'll continue to have the secular thinking uh, she says you know, isn't that something that this enlightenment of seeing God for who he really is isn't that something that you can mainly get through the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, of course, uh, that that is a part of it, um, and obviously, you know, when our eyes are opened about our own sinfulness and what God did for us, obviously, the Holy Spirit is is heavily at work in that. And I didn't put down the the reference verse, but there's actually um, um, let me pull it up in Luke chapter eleven. This is right after Luke's passage on um, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And it says, um, And he said to them, this is right after the Lord's Prayer. This is from Luke. I'm reading in Luke 11, 5. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine who's arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Don't bother me. The door's shut. My kids are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. And he says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, but because of his impudence, in other words, because he keeps banging on the door, he'll get up and give him whatever he needs. 
And he says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks it will be opened. What father, if he asks son for a fish, will give a fish instead of a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, and this connects with you, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So yes, the Holy Spirit is heavily involved with that. Um, but I think there's also this part, and I, it might slide into these next two verses, which I was going to cover, what we call the golden rule. So whatever, I'm back in Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This golden rule concept, I think that, yes, the Holy Spirit can work to, to reveal these things to people, but this thing about bringing the kingdom to earth, I think that's where those of us that can live out authentic Christianity, we can be the other way that they can see God in action. You know, we can be that answer to prayer. We can be this person who... Um, is trying to, to live out their life as Christ did in a way that is not off-putting to people who really need to hear about salvation. You know, the, the, the crazy mystery of how Jesus navigated these waters, um, you know, all of the people that were the, the wrong people, so to speak, right? The tax collectors, the society types that everybody knew were not religious, right? The publicans, the tax collectors, the sinners. These were the people not only that Jesus hung out with, but they liked to hang out with Jesus. Something about him as a person they connected with him not knowing or maybe knowing that he was the most holy person who's ever lived but yet they were still comfortable hanging out with him probably because he wasn't condemning them every chance he got or maybe I, I don't know but does that make sense? Absolutely it's unjust judgmental attitude toward them and I think as Christians, we have to be so careful because of what you just said. We, can, we are delivering the message, either the message of love and Jesus or the message of condemnation. Yeah, it's, yeah it's tricky territory, and, and especially when you start to string all these things together because we just finished this part about judging, <laughs> right? And, you know, don't cast your pearls before swine and all that sort of stuff. So it's, it's tricky territory. I think uh, 
the ultimate answer, um, you know, Pastor Bobby talked about the difference between grace and mercy, right? And it's so true, you know, thinking about judging and everything. When we offend somebody, when we overstep, when we do something stupid, for whatever reason, and we apologize, we want forgiveness, right? We want our sorry, our I'm sorry to trigger a response from the other person. That's okay. I know you didn't mean it. I forgive you. That's what we want from them, right? But when somebody does that to us, we want a little justice, right? We want, a, we want it to sting a little bit, right? We want them to feel a little of the pain that we felt, right? Or maybe I'm just talking about me. I don't know. Maybe nobody else is like that. But, you know, there's a little part that's like, you know, they had it coming. Um, and that's this mercy and grace thing, right? So when we offend somebody, we want mercy. We don't want to get what we deserve. But we have a hard time giving grace sometimes. Um, but that's, that's the way God works with us. He, he doesn't give us what we do deserve, and he gives us grace, which is those things that we don't deserve. Um, one of the most horrible things, I think, that happens in today's family is the fam- are the families where either you've got a horrible dad or you don't have a dad. I mean, there, there's tons of reasons for it. And has God said he's going to be a father to the fatherless? Absolutely. But you can't help but wonder if that doesn't color a person's perception of who God really is. And I think part of it is in, is in this. But I think the, the message to us is that we're probably not connecting with God as much as he wants. How many of us want to hear from our kids a little more than we do? How much of us want to hear from other people a little bit more than we do? God's probably the same way. He wants to hear from us more than he does. He wants us to ask more than we do. And another commentator said about this knocking and everything, says not a runaway knock. I read that and I had to turn the page and said, not a runaway knock, what is that? So you know if you're a kid and you run up on somebody's porch and knock on the door and run away? Because you don't want to be there when the door opens. But if you're selling something or if you really need to talk to that person, you're going to knock and you're going to stand there, right? And you're going to wait. And if you don't hear anything, you're going to knock again because you really want to know. I see these police shows on TV and they'll knock and if they don't hear anything, they're looking in the windows, <laughs> they're knocking on the back door, they're doing stuff I wouldn't do, of course. But they really want to know somebody there. And so our knocking should have an element of persistence to it. But he's actually wanting us to knock. He's actually wanting us to do. All right. Familiar verses. Um, the take home for me is that I'm going to try to see 
God as somebody who wants to hear from me more than he's been hearing from me. Somebody that wants me to ask more than I've been asking. Wants me to knock more than I've been asking or more than I've been knocking. Um, talking about this concept and people say, well, you know, that doesn't work for me. <clears throat> Apparently there was a guy named, he was an Archbishop William Temple. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen. <laughs> and when I stop praying, the coincidences stop happening. So, all right, anything else? I'm just okay. seeking a little bit different. Yeah. I, I, God's already told me he'll give me everything I need. I don't need to ask. He's going to give it to me. So I look at this passage like I'm not speaking through his word and, and being one-on-one -on -one with him. I need to seek and knock and find him in this. Because he's already told me. So I don't, I don't look at it like praying for anything physical. It's all relational with him in this. So I th certainly, I mean, Solomon prayed for wisdom, right? Is it okay to pray for holiness? Sure. They say be careful if you pray for patience. Uh, so, I mean, those are great things. And obviously, seek ye first, right, the kingdom of God, right? And all these things will be added to you. So I think that's great. But is it okay to go beyond that? Oh, I, yeah, I don't mean it's not okay. Right? I just, yeah. Are you... Are you are you limiting yourself a little bit? Probably. You know? And I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm right there with her. I, I, I mean. Have a, I have a hard time feeling worthy to ask. For I know, right? I, 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 I know. Hard time I get, I, exactly, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly where I tend to gravitate to. I have something. Yes, sir. So I think your I think your point is well taken that that maybe how this works is as we keep asking and maybe we're asking for something and asking for something and maybe it's not something he wants but the very fact that we're connecting with him so often gives him opportunity to gradually steer us to maybe something that's even better right and I think that is part of the answer yes Claire. I think it has to do with 
I think there, to be particular, the people he was talking to weren't Christians yet, right? He hadn't died yet um, or, or been raised, but they were certainly, it was, it was a heavily religious population, right? Uh, they were certainly raised in the Jewish tradition. Um, and I think it is true that that maybe uh, the, the tendency might, we might fear that we're going to ask for frivolous things. But again, I think given the two sides of the spectrum on how this could be abused or wrongly used, are we at higher risk for asking for the Mercedes Benz, nothing against those, or are we more likely to, to or by not asking at all? I get a vote for it. You might get something. So wherever you are, I think if you gravitate toward asking for more you, and looking at God as your daddy who wants to give you good things, even if it's not a material thing, I think we're getting closer to the heart that God, uh, that Jesus was trying to, to show us. All right, we better quit. Hey, Art, oh. the other thing in that is Jeremiah or, um, 29, 13. Whenever I hear seek, I think of that. Um, when you seek me and find and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So to me, it's always you really have to be you really have to be having that wanting to find him, wanting to listen to him, and for him to speak to your heart. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Father, we thank you. I thank you for your word that uh, we can we can hear uh, truly your words to us, that you're trying to reveal yourself to us. We would not know a thing about you if not for your word telling us. Father, I just pray that you'd help us to find the right spot on your lap where we can know you and also know how we need to connect with you and how we need to ask things from you like the amazing, godly, world-creating, ever-loving, everlasting Father that you are. We know that you are always for us. Help us never to forget that. Help us to understand the things even that might disappoint us, that we might not think are gifts, but that are somehow wrapped up in your sovereignty Help us to always accept it and always understand that they come from a loving Father. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody.